Welcome to the Caris Christian Center podcast. God is so good. Well, we've been, I'm gonna have to preach fast because I took too much time. The Holy Ghost took some time today. Wasn't it good? Uh, in John 15, we're in John 15. And, and you know, in John 14, Jesus basically said, listen, guys, I'm gonna go away. But I don't want you to be troubled. I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to fear. Because I'm giving you two things. I'm giving you the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is going to be with you and he's going to help you. Amen. He's going to bring to your remembrance whatever I've said to you. Number two, he said, I'm giving you the authority to use my name. And when you understand the authority in the name of Jesus, it will literally change your life. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, verse 12, the very same works that I do and greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. Those beautiful words. Because I go unto my Father. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus changed everything. Redemption changed everything. So he said, whatever you ask in my name, I will give it to you. These things I'll give to you that your joy might be full. Amen. Hallelujah. So when you understand your authority and you understand that the Holy Spirit is with you, that God has not left you, it will cause you, amen, to operate in great joy as a believer. Hallelujah. Amen. I believe it's contagious joy. Praise God. Now, how in John chapter 15, verse 8, look at this. He said this, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit so shall you be my disciples. It's fruit bearing and not failure that glorifies God. God is not your problem. He is your answer. Amen. God is only good and he only does good. God is not the author of death, of destruction, of lack. In, or sickness in any area of your life, period. Somebody says that, they don't understand the gospel. That's just all there is to it. They have no revelation of grace. They have no revelation of the gospel. But when you get a revelation of the gospel, it will change your life because you'll find out that God wants to do good in your life and he is not your problem, he is your answer. So Jesus said, this glorifies God, that you bear much fruit. Fruit bearing and not failure glorifies God. So how can we glorify God? How can we bring forth fruit in life? Let's look at this. Go back to verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. My father is the gardener. My father is the farmer. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. 
So the first way that we bring forth fruit is we abide in Jesus. In other words, I like to say this, we rest in Jesus. Amen. We take up our residence in Jesus. And then we allow Jesus to live his life big in us. Amen. The secret of Christianity is it's really not us that's doing all the work. It's Jesus. And he's living in us. So we just let Jesus live big in us. Notice what he says here in verse 4 and 5. Abide in me. Take up residence in me. And I in you, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. We've got to take up residence in him. I am the vine and you are the branches. You see, the life of the vine flows through the branch. He who abides in me, he who has taken up residence in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. Much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. You know, when I started pastoring, 1988, I was 23 years old. Hallelujah. Just starting my first church. I have this mentality that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do this. And then after 13 years, praise God, I was 36 we were moving to Colorado Springs to start this church. I told Barbara, I said, honey, I want you to know that I cannot do this. I want you to know that if Jesus doesn't show up, that I am toast, that we are toast, that we are finished, that this is over. You see, I can't do this in my own strength. I can't do this in my own ability. It's not me, but it's Christ who's living his life through me. Now, I want to ask you which position. They're really the same. But which position is stronger? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, without me, you can do nothing. The second is actually stronger. It's because that I realize my utter dependence and my complete dependence upon Jesus, that without him, I could do nothing. If, it, if he didn't help me, if he didn't show up, if he didn't, if this isn't his doing, if this is not his work, that we're done, that we're finished, that we're nothing. <laughs> Amen? You know what you are without Jesus? You're a zero with the rim knocked off. <laughs> nothing. So many people are trying to accomplish the things of God in their own strength and their own power, and it just doesn't work. You can't make it work. Only he can make it work. So you've got to learn how to rest in him and allow him to live his life big in you. Notice what he says in verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now I ask you, who is gathering them and throwing them into the fire? Who is gathering them? Men gather them and throw them into the fire. In other words, if you don't learn how to take up residence in Christ and allow Christ to live his life through you, you will become unproductive and unfruitful in this world. 
and you want to be effective, right, while you're in this world. So you want to realize it's not your strength, it's not your ability, it's not your power, but it's his strength, it's his ability, and it's his power. And that you are completely, again, dependent on him. That's not God throwing people into the fire. That's men throwing people into the fire. That's because they're unproductive as far as this world, as far as this earth is concerned. But then he says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Only two requirements to have all of your prayers answered. How many of you would like to have all of your prayers answered? It's so simple. If you abide in me, you've got to take up residence in me. And if my word abides in you, you've got to let the word of God abide in you. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. You know, years ago, I... I, I bought this book about seven keys, seven steps to answered prayer. And I read through step one and about half of step two. And I took the book and I threw it in the trash. Because it was so complicated, I thought I could never get this. Amen? And I'm not trying to complicate the things of God. I'm trying to make it so simple that you cannot misunderstand it. And so he says, if you abide in me, if you've taken up residence in me, and my word has taken up residence in you, you will ask what you will. What do you want? How many times in the Gospels did Jesus ask his disciples, what do you want? You see, the Bible says this in Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in him. Take pleasure in him. Delight yourself in the Lord. Amen. Delight yourself in the Lord. Hallelujah. And he will give you the desires of your heart. If you abide in me and I abide in my word abides in you, you'll ask whatever you will and it shall be done unto you. See, Jesus said in Acts 17, verse 28, in him we live, or Paul said, in him we live and move and have our very being. Praise God. We live in him. We've got a new place of life in him. And then he says, and my words abide in you. You see, 1 Peter 1, 23 says that we're born again by the incorruptible seed of the word of God that lives and abides forever. We're born again by the incorruptible seed of the word that is living and abiding. So when you are born again, the word of God took residence on the inside of you. You're born by the incorruptible seed of God's word. And that word has the absolute power to change your life. In fact, our relationship with the word determines the fruit that we bear in this life. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abide in you. Now, in Mark chapter 4, Matthew chapter 13, and Luke chapter 8, Jesus told the parable, the, the, uh, the apostles recorded the parable of the sower. And in Mark chapter 4, after Jesus told it, in the middle of it, he explained and he said, if you can understand this parable, know this parable, then will you not know all parables? In other words, if you can understand the parable of the sower, 
you can understand all parables. Praise God. This is a key to the kingdom. This is a key to understanding how the kingdom operates. And in Luke chapter 8, in verse 15, he talks about four types of soil. The soil is your heart. The seed is the word of God. How many of you know that the word of God is unchangeable? The word of God is incorruptible. We have the unchangeable word of an unchangeable God. It never changes. God doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed and say, well, I changed my will for you today. Today, it's my will for you to be sick. God's word and God's will are one, and it is always God's will to heal you. Amen. Hallelujah. It's always God's will to help you. And so his word is consistent. But our hearts are where the challenge is. And in these four types of soil, the first is the wayside soil. And immediately when the word is sown in your heart, the enemy comes to steal the word. Satan comes to steal the word out of your heart before it ever gets root. See, Satan is the enemy of the word because he knows if you get a hold of the word, you're going to become a danger to his kingdom. So don't think just because you got the word that the devil's not going to come and fight with you. In fact, Hebrews 10 says that immediately after you received the word, you, you endured a great fight of affliction. That's because you were really no threat to the devil when you didn't understand the word. But when you begin to get revelation of the word, you become a threat to his kingdom. So he wants to stop the word before it ever takes root in your life. And then there's the rocky soil. And the rocky soil is like the seed that's sown, but it has no root in itself, so it grows up and looks pretty, but it can't produce good fruit because it has no roots. And in Mark chapter 4, it says this is when persecution or affliction comes because of the word's sake, and you become unproductive. And then the weedy soil is, is when, when there's weeds and, and the seed is competing for the moisture. And the weeds actually choke it. And it says the weeds are the cares and the riches of this life and the lust of the other things that enter in and choke the word and it becomes unproductive. But the good soil, now everybody say, I am good soil. We're going to say that by faith. I'm good soil. Now it tells us here in Luke chapter 8 and verse 15 in the parable of the sower, those on the good ground are they who with an honest and good heart do you have an honest and good heart? Having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Then he says in verse 18, take heed therefore how you hear. How are you hearing the word? Are you hearing the word with the attitude that I'm going to go do it? And don't be forgetful hearers of the word. See, there are some people that hear the word, but they don't apply the word to their life, right? And, and if, you don't, if you don't hear the word and, and, and do the word, let the word become an active force in your life, the word really will ha not have a lot of fruit in your life. In fact, Jesus talks about a wise man and a foolish man in Matthew chapter 7. And when he talks about them, he's, they both heard the word. The only difference between the wise man and the foolish man was that the wise man heard the word and did something with it. And the foolish man didn't do anything with the word. Did you know they were both building a house? If you would have looked at their house, the, the foolish man's house looked big. It looked beautiful. 
It looked palatial. The wise man's house, it might not look like much because he took his time and he dug deep and he founded his house on a rock. But when the storm came, and storms come to everyone, when the storm came, the foolish man's house fell flat. But the wise man's house stood strong because it was built on the rock. Amen? So it might not have looked as big and it might not have looked as pretty, but in the, in the test of time, when the storms came, the wise man's house stood strong because he built his house on the word. And I'm here to tell you that if you build your house on the word, when the storms of life come, your house will stand strong. Your house will pass the test of time because you built your house on the word. So Jesus says here in verse 18, Take heed how you hear, for whoever has to him it shall be given. In other words, when you study the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 25, he says, But him who has not from him it will be taken away, even that which he seems to have. You understand when you study the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25 that the person who does not have is the person who heard the word, but he didn't do anything with it. But the person who has is the person who uses what he has, who applies. In other words, to the first man, he gave five talents, and he took the five talents, and he went out, and he, he earned five more talents. To the second person, he gave two talents, and he took his, his talents, and he went and earned three talents. And then to the person he gave one talent, he had the wrong image of God. He said, I knew you were hard. I knew you were austere. I knew you reap." where he, he had a false accusation against God that you reap where you didn't sow. And I went and took your talent and buried it. And here's your talent back. Jesus said, you wicked, lazy servant. See, there are a lot of people blaming God for what they don't have. And the problem is they are wicked and they are lazy. Jesus said, you are a wicked, lazy servant. The problem with you is you didn't do anything with what I gave you. you could, I, I could have taken this and put it at the bank. They would at least given me interest. Depart from me where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. No excuse. You know, when you stand before God, there'd be no excuse. It wasn't anybody else's fault. It's their personal fault. Because they didn't do anything with it. He took that talent from that person. He gave it to the guy with 10 talents. You say, he's not fair. No, he's fair. He's given to the most productive person. See, God's looking for productive people. He wants you to be productive. Hallelujah. Now, how can you be productive? You were productive through your relationship with the word. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. James chapter 1 says it like this. He says, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we'd be kind of first fruit of his grace. God only has first fruit, only has good fruit. James chapter 1 verse 18. Verse 21 says, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. So your spirit was saved. You're born again by the incorruptible seed. But then you got to let the word change the way that you think about life, change the way that you see things. 
right? Then he says in verse 22, be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving your own self. And finally, in verse 25, he says, whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty, he calls the new covenant the perfect law of liberty and continues therein. This person not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this person shall be blessed in his deed. Amen? So he says, herein is my Father glorified, John 15, verse 8, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciple. How many of you want to be disciples of Jesus? Disciplined students of the word. Now, what is a disciple of Jesus? According to the scripture in John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus spoke to those who believed on him, and he said, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciple indeed, and you will, in verse 32, know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you continue in my word, you'll be my disciplined students. That's what a disciple is, a disciplined student of Jesus. You'll be, and you will know. You'll come to know the truth, right? You'll come to know the truth, and the truth will make you free. In other words, the truth will pick you up out of bondage and place you into freedom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Isn't that good? Now, that's the first thing. You got to continue in the Word and let the tr Word change the way that you think so you can walk in true freedom. Then he says in John 13, verse 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you love one another. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. All the other, uh, of the other nine fruit of the Spirit flow forth from love. And he says, by this all men will know you're my disciples because you love one another. And then he says right here, herein is my Father glorified that you bring forth much fruit. Disciples bring forth much fruit. That's really our goal in the church is to make disciples. We want to make disciples, right? Because disciples bring forth fruit. Now, in verse 9 through verse 17, he continues. The second way that we are able to bring forth fruit and glorify God is walk in love. He says in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Continue, continue in my love. In other words, you started out in the love of God, but if you want to keep going, right, you got to continue in the love of God. Sometimes easier said than done. Amen? Continue in my love. You know, the Bible says this in Colossians 3, verse 14. It says, put on love, put on charity, the God kind of love, unearned, unmerited love, which is the bond of perfectness or maturity. You can tell how mature a person is by how well they walk in love. Now, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through verse 8, it talks about charity or the love of God, and, and I call it passing the love test. How do you do in the love test? There's times I do well. There's times I haven't done so well. But in verse 7, it says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8 says, love never fails. Love is unfailing. So love bears all things. Love will bear up under anything. Love believes all things. Love always believes the best in every person. Love hopes all things. Love's hope are fadeless under any circumstance or condition. Love never fails. <laughs> you got to continue in love. 
Now, sometimes it can be challenging to continue in love. But listen to what Jesus says. He goes on to say, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Even I kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Again, love is the first fruit of the Spirit. So in Galatians 5, and 23, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against, against such there is no law. So if you walk in love, then joy will flow from that. If you don't walk in love, you're not going to walk in joy. <laughs> Amen? Now, it, it would be easy to walk in love if you were the only person on the planet. But you are not the only person on the planet. Right? And Jesus said this in Luke 17, verse 1. He said, it is impossible that offenses will come. Now, if you've been in church very long at all, you have had opportunity to be offended. And if you come to this church, I guarantee you, if you stay in this church for any period of time, that you will have opportunity to be offended. In fact, if somebody else doesn't offend you, Pastor Lawson will probably offend you. Now, I'm not trying to offend you on purpose, really. But Jesus said, it's impossible that offenses will come so there's going to be opportunity to be offended. So what you have to do is you have to get over your bad self, amen, and you have to determine, I'm going to keep loving my brother. I'm going to keep loving my sister. I'm going to keep walking in love. And that's not always easy. In fact, while I pastored in Kit Carson for 13 years, during a period of that, I had a, ch a challenging issue that came up in my family, and it took me two years to get over it. And it didn't matter where I went and heard somebody preach. What I heard was you love them and you forgive them. I'm like, God, I have the love of God in me. Amen. And I, I, I love them in Jesus' name. But what they did made me so mad. It was really difficult for me. In fact, my grandfather had taken me out of his will. And my dad and my, my son, we worked for my grandfather for years with the promise that we'd be given certain things. And that did not happen. So when my grandfather did that, that was very painful. He actually used an attorney in my church to do, to, to do it. So he had a meeting, had us all together, said, this is what I want to do. I said, Grandpa, it's yours. You can do whatever you want to do. However, it's still painful, right? So when it came to pass, after my grandpa passed, then, then the person that received everything, they not only wanted what was theirs, they wanted what was everybody else's too for free. And it was a rather difficult situation. So they had this meeting and they called us all together. And it was my grandfather's new wife because my grandmother had died years before. And then it was this other person in my family that received everything. And then it was this attorney from my church and it was me. And they called me to this meeting and I was so mad. I was so mad. I was hot. And I literally, I, I was so mad. I was physically shaking. And I got up from the table to go get a drink to cool off of water. <laughs> they said, don't leave, don't leave. <laughs> so I went and got a drink of water to cool off. And then I went and sat down. And I told them what we were going to do. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Now, this whole time, I'm like, God, I love them. 
God, I forgive them. God, help me love them. <laughs> See, because I knew that in my spirit I had the love of God, but my soul was being challenged. But Barbara helped me deal with the pain and the difficulty of this situation. After a time, she had perception. And she said, here's the problem. She said, it's not that your grandfather didn't love you. But your grandfather lost not one of his sons, but both of his sons. And then he lost his wife. And so your grandfather thought that the only way that he could keep his dream alive was he could give it to them. And they, they would keep it alive. Right? So... When, when Barbara did that, I, see, I already had the love of God in my spirit. I had forgiveness in my spirit. But when Barbara told me that, it healed my soul. And then when God healed my soul, it was easy for me to forgive my brother. Amen? So sometimes, see, living these things out is a lot harder than it is just to talk about it. But Jesus said, listen, I want you to walk in my love. I want you to continue in my love. He goes on and says this in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another even as I loved you. Jesus loved us when we were making all the wrong choices and doing all the wrong things. He says, greater love has no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Are you the friends of God? He says, from this point, I don't call you servants, for the servant does not know what his Lord does, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard of my Father, I have made known to you. So there's really three aspects. There's servanthood, right, being a servant or a slave. There's friendship, and then there's sonship. And Jesus said, I'm calling you friends. So say that. I owned the property across the street and I was going to build out that property. And so when I started building, I just started plowing and making roads, right? Now, if I had a servant out there that was plowing and making the road, that servant only knows that he's supposed to do this and he's just putting in a road. He doesn't understand the rest of the plan. But if I bring my, my friend by there and tell my friend, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to have houses here. We're going to have apartment buildings here. We're going to have shops over here. We're going to have baseball fields over here. Then my friend can drive by and see the servant out there working, and my friend understands the overall vision, and my friend can rejoice with me. Right? But what if my son drives by? When my son drives by, my son, you know what my son says? That is my father's and therefore that is mine. Hallelujah. And so my son rejoices in what's happening. Hallelujah. So in the Old Testament, we were servants. And if you did a really good job, you might even come to Papa's table and sit down and eat a meal. But at the end of the day, you go back out in the slave quarter because you're a slave. And when you're a friend, you might enjoy dinner with, with right father once in a while, but you still go back home to your place. But when you are a son, you say, that's mine. Now, go with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And we'll read verse 4 to verse 7. Because this is what Jesus, see, in the Old Testament, we were slaves. The law made us slaves. In the Gospels, Jesus said, I've called you friends. But through... 
the new covenant, we've become sons. So he says here in Galatians 4, verse 4 through 7, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem those who were under the law, to purchase them, to buy them back, that we might receive the adoption of sons. How many of you know there are no unwanted adoptions? And because you're sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Daddy God. Because of this, you are no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Amen. So servanthood, friendship, sonship. Old Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John epistles. You are the sons and daughters of God. You are God's own children. And what Romans 8 verse 16 and verse 17 says is if you're a son, then, then you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. That means God is your father and you are equal heir together with Jesus. That means everything that was, is Jesus is yours now as children of almighty God. Now let's go back. Hallelujah. And look at what he says. He, he says this, you have not chosen me in verse 16, but I have chosen you. This wasn't your idea, but this was my idea. And I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. There aren't, God doesn't pick anybody to be a failure. God doesn't make anybody to be a failure. God is not the author of death, of destruction, of sickness, of disease, of lack in any area in your life. I've chosen that you would go and bring forth fruit. It's fruit and not failure that glorifies God. And that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, I'll give it unto you. So we have authority in the name of Jesus to carry out redemption. John 14, 12 through 14. We have authority in the name of Jesus to see the promises of God performed. John chapter 15, verse 7. And then we have authority in the name of Jesus to see the plan and the purpose of God come to pass. Amen. So we take our authority in the name of Jesus. He says, I've chosen you. I've ordained you. It's my own choice that you would go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit would remain. And here's how, it's, how it remains when you take authority in the name of Jesus to walk in God's purpose and plan for your life. Amen. These things I command you that you love one another. In other words, Hatred is not an option for the believer. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't hate anybody. God doesn't hate anybody. Jesus doesn't hate anybody. And hatred, it, you can hate sin, but you don't hate people. You know why? Because God loves everybody. And Jesus loved you when you were doing all the wrong things and making all the wrong choices. Listen to what John says in 1 John 3, verse 13 through 15. Marvel not, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So love is not an option. Amen? Love is a commandment, and we are commanded to love one another with the love of Jesus. So how can we bring forth much fruit? 
Number one, abide in Jesus, rest in Jesus. Let Jesus live his life through us. Number two, walk in love. But number three is in our attitude towards the world. Listen, and I'm going to go really quickly in verse 18 through verse 27. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love his own. But because you're not of the world, I've chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. One paraphrase says it this way in verse 19. If you live on the world's terms, the world would love you as one of its own. But since I picked you to live on God's terms, you are no longer on the world's terms. And the world is going to hate you. New King James says if you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, he says in verse 20, the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they've kept my saying, they'll keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake because they do not know him that sent me. The problem with the world is they don't know God. He said, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had no sin. In other words, Jesus said, if I wouldn't have given the word, then they had no sin. But now they have no covering. They have no cloak for their sin. Because I've given them the word. The word will judge them, he says in another place. He says this, he that hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no other man did, they had no sin. But now they've both seen and hated both me and my father. Jesus said, not only did I give them the word, I demonstrated who my father was to them, and so they will be judged because they had my word and they saw my works, yet they continued in their unbelief. But this came to pass that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. They had no good reason. Have you ever had people hate you for no good reason? I have. And if you, <laughs> you have to, Javier, but don't worry about it. Let it go. Amen. They hate you for no good reason. It's just ridiculous. This came to pass that the word might be filled in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Holy Ghost has come, the comforter, the one called aside, your assistant, your helper, your aid, who I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father. He will testify of me, and you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Let the Holy Spirit in you testify to the world around you of Christ in you. How can we, how can we bring forth fruit? Amen? Abide in Jesus and let him live big in you. Amen? Love one another. Amen? And let the Spirit of God in you testify to the world on the outside of Christ who lives in you. Love you. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.